Welcome to The Birth Debrief, a safe place where women and families are invited to share their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum journeys. The Birth Debrief centers experiences that may be difficult for others to hear. We are lifting the lid on topics that aren't often spoken about. Loss, infertility, discrimination, obstetric violence, birth trauma and so much more. If you are processing any trauma or pain from your parenting or birth experiences, please consider whether listening to these stories may be right for you at this moment in time. In today's episode, I interview Claire about the birth of her daughter, Nova. Claire was induced due to having gestational diabetes and for fear that her baby was going to be too big for her to birth if she was going to wait to go into spontaneous labor. Claire talks about how despite feeling educated and informed on her birth rights and choices, that she was still steamrolled by the system and pulled into the cycle and cascade of interventions. Australia's rate of inductions is the highest it has ever been and it's still rising. The Australian Institute of Health and Wellbeing's National Core Maternity Indicators Report states that 43.1% of women giving birth for the first time had an induced labour in 2017, which is the latest data available. It's also interesting to note that the report describes induction as an intervention to stimulate the onset of labour. So it is no surprise that it often kicks off the cascade of interventions we so often see with induced births. There is so much misinformation and fear around inductions, especially when it comes to declining them, which you can do. Hence, this interview is a very apt and relevant conversation for you all to be hearing right now. I hope you enjoy and learn something from today's episode. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so happy that you put yourself forward to come on and tell your story to me and allowing me to share it with all these other people. I think it will be really helpful for other people to hear a little bit about your story. No problem. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Uh, So would you like to take a minute just to introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about you and who's in your family? So my name's Claire. I'm 26 years old and we live in the Barossa in South Australia. Um, We've just recently moved here from Darwin. Um, I'm halfway through a teaching degree um, and I live here with my partner, Dan, and my daughter, Nova, who's three months old. What a change of scenery. Yes, (laughs) and temperature. (laughs) (laughs) Did you move for work or for lifestyle? Um, It was more for family. So we wanted to be closer to my family after the birth of our daughter. Yeah, that's definitely helpful. How have you found the transition? It's been a bit hard because we're still living with my family, like we're still living with my parents, but it has been good. Like um, it's, a, you know, a lot, of, a lot of different things down here. Like I guess like the biggest difference is maybe like the finances, like it's a lot cheaper to live down here than it was in Darwin. Yeah. So was your pregnancy planned or unexpected? Um, it was un- unexpected, um, but we had talked about having um, kids um, sort of in the past, but like um, I had uh, – uh, uh, polycystic ovary like I suspected polycystic ovaries but I'd never been like confirmed so we weren't sure how like um fertility was gonna be around that so yeah so when I did fall pregnant we were like oh wow <laughs> why so, what led you to think that you did have PCOS um I think it was last year I was admitted to hospital I had like a ruptured um cyst on my ovary Right. And um yeah, I had a few of the other systems uh, I mean 
symptoms and my systems as well. So, mm. yeah, but I never like, went back to it. It wasn't really bothering me, to be honest. It's just that cyst that one time, so it wasn't, like, ruling my life or anything like that. So Yeah, okay, all right. Um, so how did you feel when you found out you were pregnant? Was it a bit of a shock to you? Did it take a while to adjust? It did. Um, it was a huge surprise when I found out. Um, I was really excited, but then I had times where I was sort of like, oh, my God, what, what's happening? Like, are we ready for this, like, financially? And, have we, you know, like, we, have we done everything that we wanted to do before we had kids? So I think in that way it was sort of like a, oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah, I was really excited when I first found out. Yeah, I feel like that's a huge element that people don't often talk about is even when you really – even when you know that you want kids in the future or even if you want kids soon, when you fall pregnant, it's such a huge mental thing to overcome and I don't think many people talk about it. And then you feel guilty for not being happy straight away. I I went through that with my first and I felt, I was like, is this normal? Like I should be happy. And that was definitely the expectation that was kind of put on me by everyone else in my life. Um, and it's just because you just don't talk about it. You know, people don't tell you that even when you're trying for a baby, it can be a huge shock. It's just the realisation that your life is really about to change that kind of sets in. Definitely. Yeah, I think it was just like the whole responsibility like just dawned on us and we are just like, oh, my God. <laughs> so what was your experience with um, or your knowledge on labour and childbirth before um before you fell pregnant, like, did you know when you fell pregnant what kind of mode of care you were going to go with or were you just, like, just thinking, did you know what you needed to do? Yeah, so I, I definitely knew what I wanted to happen. Like, I have watched – I have, like, a like obsession with, like, watching, like, natural water births and birth videos and, like, one born every minute and all that. And so, like, I kind of um, – I knew what I wanted and I knew that I was walking into a system that was going to try and push me in other directions, but, like, I still ended up having the birth that I did, which, you know. That's really interesting that you went into it knowing knowing all of that. Did that did that scare you or did it make you feel more confident knowing at least you knew that that's how things were going to go and that you were kind of a little bit more prepared? Yeah, I, sort of, I felt like that at the start and then sort of afterwards I was scared that what happened happened. <laughs> I was like, wow, like I was mm. – like I knew that that was possible. And it still it still happened. Yeah. So how was um how was your actual pregnancy? Um, it was actually horrific. <laughs> I really, 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 really hated being pregnant. So I was um so yeah, I was studying part time and working full time through my pregnancy and for the first three months I was so sick. Like I had really bad um morning sickness. And then at about twenty weeks, um I ended up with like a kidney infection. And so I ended up in hospital with that. And then at, I think around 28 weeks, I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes. Yeah, I just I just had like, I was in so much pain the whole time. Like I had really bad pelvis pain. I had ended up with carpal tunnel. Uh, it was just, yeah, I think a lot of it came down to like stress because like we were moving and my, dro- my, my job was pretty stressful. But yeah, I really did not enjoy being pregnant, which is like not, a lot of women say that, but like I hated it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really hard, especially like when you want when you want the baby, but it's really hard being pregnant. It for, it makes it really hard to you know get through that. Yeah, um, and I also I ended up being like anemic for most of my pregnancy, and it, it went sort of undiagnosed, and so that like played a huge part 
in like my exhaustion, like extra exhaustion. Like I knew like being pregnant, you'd be tired, but like I was just like exhausted. And at the time I was just thinking, oh yeah, this is just usually like pregnancy tiredness. Like it's fine. Everything's fine. But yeah, I ended up having like anemia. So towards the end of my pregnancy. Yeah. I find it really interesting that that went undiagnosed because I feel like they make such a big deal about it. Like I'm, I'm constantly anemic. I'm always, yeah. like my iron levels are always low, but whenever I fall pregnant, they're always like, your iron's yeah. low. And I'm like, it's always low. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, what mode of care did you decide to go with for your, for your birth? I'm, I'm assuming that your options, well, actually you were living in Darwin at the time, but you were planning on birthing in South Australia. Yeah. So most of my um, prenatal care, I chose to go with midwife. And then when I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes, they said to me, they're like, oh, you can um, you can have like dual care. You can see the midwife still and you can see the obstetrician. I was like, oh, yeah, I'd really like to be able to see the midwives and the obstetrician still. But I ended up just seeing the obstetrician like every two weeks. So and they're like, they're like oh, it's not, there's not much point in really seeing the midwives. But there was like, you know, reflecting on that, there was like a lot of point in still seeing the midwives because the obstetrician are doctors and there was a lot of things that they couldn't really answer. Yeah. You know, we're just like, oh, just leave it until you go to your birth class. And uh, it's all well and good for someone to tell you what is, you know, whether there's any point in you doing it. But if you feel more comfortable doing it, then that's reason enough to continue doing it, you know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, There was, I saw like a lot of different midwives in Darwin as well. Like there was no like continuity, like it wasn't the same midwife every week. Yeah, that's kind of standard hospital care, right? Knowing that you were going to be birthing in South Australia, logistically, how did all of that work? Did you have to touch base with a hospital before going and did that worry you at all, knowing that you're not really going to have a lot of time to form relationships with the people at the hospital? Yeah, it did worry me to start with. Um, so about a month before we left Darwin, um, South Australia had like a hotline that you call um, and so I called that hotline and they transferred me to the hospital. And, like, I booked the appointment in for a week after we got here. And, like, I told them, like, oh, I've got gestational diabetes, like, blah, blah. Um, and then the hospital in Darwin, they photocopied all of my notes and stuff and gave them to me to bring down. But, um, yeah, it kind of did scare me. But I was also – I was looking forward to it because, like, the care that I received in Darwin, like, wasn't the best. Like, they stuffed a lot of things up. Um so, because it was when we actually when we got actually got to Adelaide, yeah, that's when they saw that my iron levels were low. So it never got brought up in my first appointment where they did the first blood test. They never did any follow up blood tests. Um, so that's where they identified it and they retested it. Mm. And that's when I was anemic. Um, and they also didn't die. They didn't tell me my diagnosis when I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes. I sort of rocked up to an appointment like a month later, and they're like, oh. I say, like, you're Claire, like, the nurse came out, you're Claire, like, um, this is what's happening, and you've got gestational diabetes, and I was like, what? Like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh, I haven't really been told that yet. She's like, oh, what? And I was like, yeah, nobody, nobody's told me that I had gestational diabetes. I just thought everything was fine because I didn't receive a call, you know? <laughs> so, like, yeah, I was, yeah. Mm, yeah, kind of like you fell, fell through the cracks a little bit there. Did you feel like you that maybe they weren't paying you the same attention that they would have if you had have been birthing there? Like they were kind of like, oh, well, she's going anyway. That's kind of what it sounds like to me, that they were just like missing things because you weren't going to be there for your birth and it was, you know, you were just there for prenatals and that was it. 
Yeah, so it did feel a little bit like that, but um, I didn't actually tell them that I was leaving the territory until like a month before we left. Uh, so they didn't actually know that we were moving to South Australia till then. But yeah, it definitely felt like we like just slipped through the cracks and they sort of um, weren't as thorough as they should have been. And like I would ask them questions and they'd be like, oh, just ask that in your birth class. And I didn't actually end up going to a birth class because they scheduled it for after I left. And then I couldn't get into one in South Australia because they were all booked. So <laughs> so at the end I sort of just had all these questions that I didn't have answered. Count your blessings because the birth classes are just absolute bullshit anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's basically more often than not just the hospitals um, preparing you for all the sorts of interventions that co- can happen during your birth. And I guess it, from their point of view it's trying to make it so that if women do need intervention in their birth, they're already a little bit aware of it, but it's just, it's gone about the wrong way. Um, I wouldn't worry too much that you missed that. <laughs> but once we did get to South Australia, like I was sort of worried that the same thing was going to happen, but um, we ended up going to like a smaller regional hospital and I ended up being admitted to hospital um, prior to my first appointment anyway. So um, when we got off the plane from Darwin, um, we went out for dinner with some friends and I ended up having a hemiplegic migraine, oh. which is like um, a migraine that has the same symptoms as a stroke. Holy shit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I was like sort of sitting at the, the table and I started to get like a tingling sensation down like one side of my body, like suddenly my hand and like worked up to my face. My face sort of went numb then my toes went numb. Um, and then I was just trying to talk and like, gibberish was just coming out like I was just saying random words but like in my head I was saying something yeah so at the time we're like oh no like it's probably just like my blood sugars or something but and I was telling everybody I'm like no 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 like I don't get low blood sugar because I'm not on medication like I'm not on insulin and the mum's like oh no just have a coke you'll be fine (laughs) and I'm like no mum like something's seriously wrong like I'm like I don't feel right and so like we ended up going outside and and it's sort of like um start to feel a bit normal again and um but yeah on the way home I just had this like splitting headache and we ended up going to the hospital then so yeah that was my first trip to the hospital to meet the midwives and the obstetrician and yeah then they're like oh we think it might have been this thing called a hemiplegic migraine so that was interesting start to our state like our stay in South Australia (laughs) yeah definitely definitely so how was your experience in the hospital there it was really good so like the hospital that going to is like a regional hospital the one that we went to so it was a lot smaller than the Darwin Hospital. They were really, really thorough with, like, everything that they did, like, checking me over. Um, they retested my bloods because I, I took my notes with them, um, with me to the hospital from Darwin. Um, so they redid my bloods. Um, they made me do, like, a urine test. Um, and then I was there um, overnight because the urine test came back with protein. So they were a bit worried that I might have had, like, preeclampsia. So I was in overnight and then they sort of, just retested it again in the morning and it just came it came back clear so I don't know what the go was with that so yeah and then I was just discharged um and then from then on they changed my appointments to weekly appointments and so were you 32 33 weeks at that point yeah yep so I think I was about 32 weeks at that stage let's jump into your birth yep how far along were you when, when things kicked off and how did the early stages of labour go for you? So I was actually induced. So at 36 weeks pregnant, I went for, because of the gestational diabetes, they're like, oh, we're going to send you um, for an ultrasound. 
um, just to check on baby size. And I was like, yeah, okay, no worries. And so we went to get the ultrasound done and the ultrasound technicians, she's like, oh, like, she's like, I don't think this baby's going to be in there for much longer because she's quite big. Like she's measuring four, four and a half kilos. And I was like, oh, okay. And then she also said, she's like, oh, you've got like, um, like calcification on your placenta as well. And she was concerned that like my placenta was starting to fail. But like I, you know, that's sort of what happens towards the end of your pregnancy anyway. Um, and so I, I didn't really think much of it and um, neither did my obstetrician, but she was still like, so when I first went there, I had a different obstetrician. And when I went there the second time, I had a, another lady and she was like, nah, we're going to induce you like next week. I remember thinking at the time, I was like, oh, they're telling me that I have like a four and a, four, like four, four and a half kilo baby. And she's telling me like all the risks that could happen if like she stayed in there. And even though I knew that I could like refuse induction, I still went along with it because like at the time I was like so exhausted. I was so swollen. I was in so much pain. Like I'd been to the hospital another time since the last time that I'd gone because of um, I had like um, dizziness and vomiting and stuff like that again. And again, they tested me for preeclampsia, but it came back negative. And so I was just like, I was so over it that I was like, oh, okay, like, um, I'll just get induced. And like, I'd been reading on like this um, gestational diabetes support group. And I was like, all these other women who had been induced and it had gone really well for them, it'd been fine. And so I was like, oh, maybe it's not as bad as like everybody says it is, <laughs> which was just like, I don't, I don't know if it was just me in just like survival mode, just like, just like in so much pain, just like get this baby out. Yeah. Regardless of what's going on with you, like I totally understand. It can be really tempting when someone goes, hey, you can have your baby early and like you're at the end of your pregnancy, you're totally over it, you've got all these other things going on and it is tempting. I get it. Yeah. And so I remember like um, so I was going to be induced on the Sunday night. They were going to put like the Cervidil in and then check me in the morning. And so I remember like we went out to the city on Saturday and I started getting like really bad like abdominal pain. I was like, oh. I was like, maybe she's going to come naturally, like, before I have to be induced. But, um, no, it didn't end up happening. But I just remember thinking on the Saturday night, I was like, oh, maybe I should keep call them and tell them I don't want to be induced because I really want to have a natural birth. Like, I just I did not get a lot of sleep on that Saturday night because I was like, oh. like, I, And then I thought to myself, like, oh, I don't want to inconvenience them. Like, they're expecting me. Oh, Yeah. And heading into an induction on little sleep is really not the best situation. No. And so, but yeah. it happens for so many women. Yeah, it does. It's, I don't. I don't know a woman who has had a really good night's rest before she's been induced. Like, I don't think I've ever met anybody like that's had a nice sleep. <laughs> well, normally when you have your baby, like it's just another day. You go to sleep, you wake up, and maybe you'll have contractions that day. But like when you're anticipating that the following day you're going to have your baby, I imagine it's much the same for um, scheduled C-sections is that, of course, you can't sleep. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so on the 28th of July, I was, like, admitted to hospital. Um, so they took me up to the ward. They um, inserted the Cervidil, and then they're just like, try and get some sleep. And so I was like, oh, yeah. So, like, when they inserted it, my cervix was still really high and closed. And so the midwife said, she's like, oh, I'm just going to have to pull your cervix down to try and put the tape up, like, underneath it. What? Yeah, and it was oh. really painful. <laughs> I can imagine. I've never heard of that before. Pull your cervix down. What the yep. fuck? Yeah, and so she did that, and then she got it up there, and it was just like stinging the whole time. And she's just like, "Okay, try and get some sleep. Like, we can give you like a painkiller or a sleeping tablet if you need it." And I'm like, "Oh no, I don't want that because I don't want to feel like groggy 
tomorrow. And so anyway, like the stinging was, it was bearable. Like it was just a bit uncomfortable. So I did, I did go to sleep for about three hours and then I woke up at midnight and I had like, um, really, really like regular, like cramping. They came in and they sort of checked because they had me on the, they had me hooked up to like the machine for like, um, her heart rate and everything like that. The whole time you were sleeping? Yeah. So they came in. Oh, that would have been a restful sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so that was comfortable. <laughs> so like they came in and they checked it and they're just like, oh no, like um, you're having contractions. They're too close together. We need to take it out. And so I think it was like one o'clock in the morning, they took the Cervidil out and then the contractions sort of like eased a little bit, but they were still there. So I still, I couldn't sleep. Like I probably got like maybe like four hours sleep that night, I think. So anyway, in the morning, she comes in, the midwife, and she's like, oh, have a shower and stuff. We're going to take you over to, like, the labour ward. And so I got there and they checked to see how long, like, how far I was dilated. And she's like, oh, yep, you're, like, far enough dilated where we can break your waters. Actually, no, I wasn't. I wasn't far enough dilated. I was almost far enough dilated where they could break my waters. But she's like, oh, we've got an obstetrician here. She's about to go home. If I can catch her, we can get her to break your waters because, like, she's got really small hands. (sighs) And I was like, oh. I was like, okay. And at no point did they tell me that, like, having my waters broken would be painful. Like, they did not tell me that at all. Anyway, so this obstetrician came in. I knew her because I had had her, like, previously in one of my hospital stays. She'd come in. She's like, okay. I'm just like, I'm just going to, like, go in here and, like, break your waters and it should be pretty easy. Anyway, and she starts to do it. Like, she starts getting in there and she's like, I'm just going to walk your cervix down. Oh, my God. And I just want to, like, say if an obstetrician ever says that they just, just casually ever says that they're going to walk your cervix down, straight up to say no because it was the most horrific and most painful experience in my whole entire labour. Like, it was, like, unbearable. She's like, because I started to feel, like, a bit, like, ow, like, that hurts. And I, like, my bum started lifting up off the table and she's like, oh, just give her the gas, give her the gas. <sighs> and so I had the gas. And even with the gas, I was still, like, squirming away from her. Anyway, she managed to like get it and she burnt, like popped my waters and then they all came out and the midwife was like oh there's blood in her waters like is that like a bad thing and then the obstetrician's like oh no 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 like that's just normal like that's okay it's not that much blood it's fine that's normal because I've just like manually brought her cervix down exactly and I just remember like it was like I think there was like there's two moments during my labor where I thought I was gonna die and that was one of them. Like I was just laying there. Like I felt like I was going to like just go out of conscience. I was just like, ow. Yeah, that's insane. I've I've never heard that terminology before, walk your cervix down. But, yeah, just saying it sounds extremely painful and completely unnecessary. I mean, they're already – you were already contracting, you know, like things were starting to move. They were about to break your waters. Like – Yeah. Oh, yeah, and then, like, the worst part was is that, like, all, all these midwives, like, that came in through the day were like, oh, I heard that, like, Dr. Blah, blah, blah had, um, had got, like, broken your waters. She's like, you're really lucky. It's taken, like, four hours off your labour. Like, you know, like, saying how grateful I should have been to, like, have this experience, which is, like, one of the things that, like, I've carried with me, like, out of that, like, whole thing was, like, I feel really funny about that now. Like, I still feel... Yeah, like I haven't been able to book in like to get my post birth like Pap smear done. I just feel really funny about like that now. So yeah, it really traumatized me. Yeah, definitely. And then having people 
try to inform how you should feel about it. Like that's quite conflicting. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, anyway, they did that. And um, so then I sort of just kept on having contractions and then they decided to hook me up to the drip. Um, like I think, like they, yeah, I don't, I don't, I really don't know how like far I was dilated because I didn't have a lot of um examinations. Like I refused to be examined. Oh, that's so good. Did they tell you when they broke your waters how far along you were? Yeah, so they said I was about three. Okay. Years. Yeah. So yeah, so then they put me on the drip. Um, and the construction started getting like really, really, really like hectic. And I remember one of the midwives was like, "Oh, like we can expect a baby before." midday she's like this baby's gonna come like really quickly and I was like awesome like I'm not gonna be in labor for like 24 hours (laughs) yeah so they put me on the drip they didn't tell me like what the drip does Mm. and I only learned sort of afterwards how that like how that um how your body reacts to that so yeah so I was like I didn't have any pain relief until about I think it was midday and like I asked and then the midwife comes in and she's like oh I can examine you if you like like we can see how far along you are and I was like yeah I kind of do want to know how far along I am and so she um checked and I think I wasn't hadn't really progressed much further to what I had been this in the morning and so that was like damn it I shouldn't have asked (laughs) I was like oh why did I ask because it just like it just set up this mental block in my head where I was just like oh my god yeah it can be a real um double-edged sword so I kept on going, like I was just, um, I ended up having like some of the gas and then at about, I think it was like five o'clock in the afternoon, I was like, oh, I really, like I want an epidural, like I'm in so much pain, like I just had no sleep, I was like, I need the epidural, give me the epidural. And um, they walked in, they're like, oh, the lady next door, like she's having an epidural too, so they're going to call the anaesthetist in, he's going to do hers and then he's going to come and do yours. And I was like, okay, no worries. And I just, like, remember sitting there, like, waiting for the epidural, just, like, oh, like, give me the epidural. <laughs> like, I was just so over it by that stage. I was just, like, yeah. so much pain. Like, um, anyway, so they came and did that at 5 o'clock. That was actually what got me. Like, after I had that, I ended up, like, getting fully dilated by, I think it was about 10 o'clock that night, uh, which was surprised me because I was, like, oh, it's going to slow down my labour. I'm, like, not going to progress. Like, I'm going to be in labour forever. Like, that's what I was thinking in my head. But, yeah, it ended up actually um, – Afterwards, after having that, I dilated fully. How did you feel mentally around making the decision to get the epidural? I'm assuming that's something that you didn't want to begin with if you were going for like a natural kind of birth. Yeah, how did you feel when you consented to that? It's like I felt really defeated. I was like, oh, I haven't been able to do it naturally like I wanted. Like now I can't move around, you know, I'm stuck to the bed. Like It's really hard and this happens so often in inductions in particular and it's important looking back on it to know that that was kind of out of your hands because inductions are so much more painful than going into spontaneous labor and you don't have all of the natural hormones running through your body that help you deal with the pain and your body isn't contracting at the rate that it should be and you're basically forcing your body to do something that it isn't ready to do. So, of course, you're looking for pain relief. But I I feel like the biggest thing for women in that position is they feel guilty and they feel like they've already failed. Yeah. And then it can be a real slippery slope because once you start to let your head think, 
oh, well, what's the point? Like I'm here now anyway. And you know, what's one more intervention and things like that. It can be a real battle to get yourself back up onto that platform to have an empowered and calm birth. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I sort of feel like after the epidural, that's sort of like when they stopped asking me like, oh, I'm just like, it's more, I'm just going to do this. Like we're just going to do this. This is going to happen now. Like I was still able to like move my legs and stuff. Like I've had like a spinal block before because I had like a major surgery last year. Um, so the epidural was like a lot different to that. And I wasn't expecting that. When the epidural came up, like, did they tell you that, um, you still have options? Like if you have the epidural, you can still birth like on all fours and there's, uh, you don't have to just birth on your back. Was there any dialogue around your options going forward or was it, was it just expectation? Okay. You get an epidural, you're going to be on your back. You can't move anymore. Or did you already know that stuff? So there was no conversation with me, but one of the midwives, had it was having a conversation with the obstetrician um it's just before like I started to like push and she said to him she's like oh like she's like I think because um Nova was posterior so like her back was I think it's like her back is against my back yeah is that what it is yeah um so she's like I think she'd really benefit if she got on all fours instead of being flat on her back and the obstetrician was like oh no I don't want to risk that because she's too exhausted She's had an epidural and I don't want her to fall. And the midwife's like, oh, no, no. It's like we can like we can hold her. Like we can get someone in here and we can hold her up and she can like try all fours, like just try it. (sighs) And he's like, no, no, it's too dangerous. There's too many risks. She needs to be on her back. So this was happening in the the room, like obviously within each shot. Yeah, in front of me. Yeah, (laughs) right at the end of my bed. Like so, yeah, he didn't want to go ahead with that. So they knew that your baby was posterior even before you got the epidural. Was there any conversation around changing positions to try to help your baby turn or any things that you could do to kind of help um, get your baby into a better position at all? Yeah, so um, when I first uh, came down and I went to my first midwife appointment, she saw, like, she felt the positioning and she's like, oh, like, you should do these exercises to try and get her to turn around so she's facing, like, because she's like, because labour that way can be quite painful. And so she gave me, like, some exercises to do, but she just didn't turn. Like, <laughs> you know, she might have turned before she got to full term, but we'd never know because I was induced, so. Oh, but that's, that's amazing that that information was given to you. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, so after I had the epidural, like, um, I just, I think it was around, like, 10 o'clock at night that I, no, it wouldn't have been, it would have been around 8, I think, that they said that, like, I'd progressed enough to push. Um, so like I started pushing and I just like I was so exhausted by that stage like I was just I've never been that tired and still conscious in my life like I was just (laughs) that's such an interesting way of putting it were they um were they doing coached pushing like they deemed that you were ready and they were like okay push now yep so they were sort of seeing when the contractions were coming and then telling me when to push could you feel any any pressure down low like towards your bottom at all could you feel the weight of a baby yeah I could feel like a fair bit and like it's like so the obstetrician like it just the birth team just weren't I don't know if it was like cooperating with each other or just weren't communicating very well with each other because like the midwife was like well this is how this should feel like this is like what you should feel when you need to push and then the obstetrician is just like oh no there's a contraction push like so I don't know it was just real like and I couldn't really feel everything 100% to know when I had to push I was just so I was just like in there like I was just dazed I was just confused and just exhausted and yeah and I just remember looking at my partner being like 
I can't do this. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to get through this. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> and that's another thing that, that often happens in the birth space is that there's so many different personality types, you know, and even though they work together, it doesn't necessarily mean that they all get along and they all have different points of views and opinions. And bringing that kind of energy into your birth space and having those little miscommunications and even sometimes conflicts. Yeah. Like I've seen obstetricians and midwives arguing in front of the woman and I'm like, this is just not – this is not right, you know? Yeah, did you, yeah. Did you know all along that there was going to be an obstetrician in the room um, and did you know the reasons for that or did that just kind of happen on the day? Uh, no, I knew he would be there um, because of the gestational diabetes. Um, they said that there would be an obstetrician. He would sort of be in and out of the room. So he sort of he sort of kept his distance. Um, he came in a couple of times. Like I'd seen him before. Like he was the obstetrician that I'd seen the most in most of my appointments up until I'd given birth. So I was familiar with him. So he was in and out, like just saying like hello to me, talk to me, and then he'd go. And he didn't come back until it was time for me to push. And he sort of until I had the epidural, and then he sort of kept his distance while the midwife was sort of there. And then as like things like sort of as she didn't descend like she wasn't descending down the birth canal that's when he stepped in yeah after I had the epidural and I started to push they sort of like she kept on getting they could see her head like they're like oh she's right there but she kept on sort of like coming out and then just going back in yeah so he was trying to like manipulate her like the both him and the midwife were trying to manipulate her to come sort of over that ridge and out but she just kept on going back in kept on going back in so what were they doing at that point when when they were trying to manipulate her manually I'm honestly not quite sure exactly what they were doing they didn't tell me what they were doing um and at the time I didn't ask um but yeah like they were just they just had like their hand like right up there like oh. like I don't know what they were doing to her head like if they were trying to like pull it down or I don't know or, like try and catch her as she sort of came out to try and keep her from going back in I don't know oh. what they were doing but they just, yeah, they had all the hands up on my business and then um, they're just like, oh, we need to clear your, um, we need to like clear your bowels out because we think it's stopping her from being able to come out. And I was like, okay. And so they ended up giving me like um, one of those chemical repositories and that was absolutely horrific. So they're just like, okay, we're going to clear this out in this room full of people. Like, so yeah, they did that and then that didn't work. Like she was still stuck still wasn't coming down. And so they gave me two hours of pushing time before he called it. He's like, no, like her heart rate's getting too high. She's getting stressed. We need to get the baby out. So they called for emergency C-section. And he, I remember he said, like, he just, he said to me, he's like, um, he's like, when we get down to theatre, he's like, I want to check you again because, like, we still might be able to do an assisted birth. And I just thought in my head, like, assisted birth, like episiotomy, like, and I was like, oh, like, ugh. And I don't want that. Like that was one of the things that I really don't want. And um, and I was like, and I've had enough of you, like sticking your hands inside me. Like I'm just yeah, totally. So when like I had that strep B test done before I got into hospital and come back positive, so they put me on antibiotics. Was that explained to you before you went into labour that that would that would be the case? Okay. Yeah. So they explained that to me that yeah, we're gonna have to put you on antibiotics because it's come back positive. Um, so yeah, I was hooked up to that as well. And after I had given birth, they kept me on the antibiotics and he'd literally said to me, he's like, oh, because we've had so much intervention, because you've had like so many people like, you know, trying to get the baby out and stuff, like you need to stay on antibiotics for the next six days to avoid any like post 
of like infections. So. Oh my god! So, uh, AKA, we've like caused all of these troubles for you, and now we're going to try yep. and fix them. Like, it's just so it's so backwards, you know. Yeah. And they would have known that to begin with. Like, it's like yeah, prevention is so much better, you know. Then, oh my god. Yep. So yeah. Anyway, so um, so they came in and they like prepped me for surgery. They topped up the epidural, and he started to sort of like do like the test to see whether or not I could still feel everything with the ice pack. How were you feeling mentally when the talk about C-section came up? I was like, I just felt really defeated. I was just like, I was upset, but I was sort of just surrendered. I was just like, just get my baby out. Like I was just really stressed about her well-being at that time. Like. You're running on empty and like you said before, you you get over having people staring at your vagina and putting their hands up there and, you know, at that point I think it's quite normal to, to feel that way, to just be like, okay, whatever you need to do, you know. And there's also, oh, I forgot to mention like earlier, like there was the lady that was giving birth to me next door uh, with sort of like the midwives had sort of established that we were like progressing at the same rate. And so, like, we had this, like, little joke going on, like, oh, it's a race, like, to see who gives birth first. And so, like, um, as I was getting, like, prepped for C-section, she gave birth and we could hear, like, them all celebrating and, like, we were, like, that on top of just being told that you have to have a C-section was just, like, soul-crushing. I was just, like, oh, my God. Yeah, at insult to injury. Why couldn't I be like her? Like, (laughs) so, um, like, the surgical team that, I had, like, the nurse and the midwife. They were really lovely. So, like, they took me down to surgery and she's like, oh, she's like, I need to shake you pubic hair. Is that okay? Like, um, I was like, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. And then he was really nice. He was telling me what was happening the whole time. Like, he was reassuring me. I got, like, um, really cold and, like, I kept on shaking and vomiting, like, when I first got down to surgery. So, and then they asked me, they're like, oh, do you want to watch what's happening? And, like, at that stage I was like, no, like, I don't want to see it. So they put up the curtain. Mm. Um, but they had it they sort of had it half down because my partner like they were insisting that he like watch like watch it happen <laughs> um yeah which he was at the time not very comfortable with he's like I don't know if I want to see this like I don't know like anyway so like um I was sort of really I was out of it by this stage like I was just like I was there but like I wasn't and then so they were having like a lot of trouble getting her out like she'd gotten really wedged in my, like she was because I dilated to like 10 centimeters like she was you know pretty far down and so they were trying to like rip her out and she was sort of just not coming out and he was the obstetrician sort of started to panic but he's like oh no we can't get this baby out um and your hubby's watching <laughs> anyway, all so, of this as well like that, yeah and he's ugh. watching this this the whole time so he like he got her out and I just remember this thing that like um midwife said to me like in Darwin like before been moved and everything she said oh a baby who's born not crying is a baby in trouble and so they pulled her out and there was just silence there was like the tiniest little like eh, and that was it and so I was sort of just like my instant thing was like oh my god is she okay like is she breathing is she okay and and then the nurse is like oh she's fine she's just a little bit flat and so they like, sort of whizzed like past us like I could see them like going to like the table like the recess and um, my partner's just like, oh, she's okay, she's okay, she's okay. But, like, I could tell on his face that, like, he was not, like, okay. So, yeah, eventually, like, they – eventually they, she started breathing, she started crying, and they sort of came and they, like, put her on my chest 
she was there for literally like three seconds and then they ripped her away again. Were they explaining things to you as this was happening or it was just a bit chaotic? No, it was just chaos. Like I had no idea what was happening with her. I just kept on like asking like, is she okay? And they're like, she's fine. I'm like, she's obviously not fine if she's been, you know, resuscitated. Yeah, I'm in the room. I can see and feel what's going on. Just tell me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so while that was happening, they were having like a really like hard time getting my bleeding under control. Like I was bleeding a lot. So they said like, um, they're like, okay, we need to take the baby like somewhere. I can't remember where they said they were taking her. And they asked my partner, Dan, they're like, oh, are you going to come with the baby? And he sort of like looked at me and he's like, what should I do? And I'm like, you go with the baby, like go with her, you go with her, I'll be fine. And so he left and he went with the baby. Aww. And so I was in theatre for like two hours and I after I don't remember anything after that. The next thing I remember was waking up in recovery. So they had her in um, a humidity crib um, and they put her on oxygen for I think it was six hours. So I didn't get to hold her again until the next morning. Oh, my goodness. Were you getting updates um, from the staff while you were in recovery on how she was going and what was going on? Um, one of the midwives, so she was actually right next to me in recovery. Um, they'd allocated a midwife to sit with her. That was nice of them. Yeah. So, um, which I've found out like that, that's actually not like a common practice. Like that's not, It should be, but it's not. Yeah. So she sort of explained, she's like, yeah, she's having, she's had a bit of trouble with her breathing. She's got, um, low oxygen levels. They sort of didn't tell me why she had problems. I still don't know. Like, <laughs> like I'm assuming it's because of the trauma of her birth. I don't know. So, yep, she was in the humidity crib for, I think it was like six hours. And then the following morning, like, they finally got her out and I could hold her. And, like, I remember, like, I was, like, excited to hold her and I was happy to hold her. But, like, it just felt a bit funny. Like, I was just like, oh, my God, like, is this my baby? Like, like she's here because I like I convinced myself like when she was born and she wasn't breathing I was like oh my god she's dead like she's not breathing like it sounds like really messed up but like when they she was over on that table they said what's the time and I was like oh my god like she's dead like they're asking for the time for like her death like I just convinced myself that she was dead oh. and then that wasn't the case that was because they were filling out like her birth documents like you know her time of birth but still that sticks with you like yeah yeah you're so helpless like you're literally bound to a table or a bed and you can't move Mm. you can't see like yeah oh that sucks yeah and you I was just like fighting sleep so hard the whole time like I was like I was falling asleep while they were like getting her out of me I was like yeah just yeah I mean aside from all of the drugs they have pumping through you and everything like you had been full-on laboring you know yeah. and already like yeah. even the night before you went in on no sleep it's <laughs> yeah it's so hard when she was with you in recovery or that moment when you finally got to hold her did you you touched on it before you said that you just felt a bit disconnected yeah yeah definitely uh, it's like it wasn't uh, like it wasn't that I didn't feel like she was mine, but mm. I just didn't feel like a connection that I expected to feel with her. And I sort of just felt robbed of those like first few minutes that like a mother gets with their babies like put on their chest. Like, I just didn't get that sensation. It was just just baby in a blanket. And like I remember like laying in recovery, and I said to my partner, I was like, "Can you take some photos of her so I can see her?" Because like I don't remember her face. Like I didn't. 
like have enough time to like sort of you know absorb what I was seeing when she was just dumped on my chest like I was just sort of like I don't remember what she looks like like show me what she looked like yeah it's really hard it's almost like in a situation like that birth happened to you rather than you know and I think that that's quite quite a common feeling when you go into an unexpected c-section is to feel like you weren't really a part of it yeah yeah it's um it took like a really long time for me to sort of like feel that bond I suppose Mm. so while she was in the humidity crib so you didn't get to hold her or feed her at all did you want to try and breastfeed her before you went in to have her yeah so I really yep I really wanted to breastfeed and um they sort of told me like before I'd gone in they're like oh you need to try and start collecting colostrum because like um GD babies are often born with like low blood sugar so like they like you to collect the colostrum so they can give that to them um but she wasn't born with low blood sugar how big was she uh she was only 2.8 kilos Oh, for fuck's sake. That makes yep. me so angry. Yeah. So she was born, she was 49 centimetres, 2.8 kilos. So nowhere even close to being four, four and a half kilos. Yeah. yeah. Which is the whole reason you were induced. Yeah. I just don't know how they can use like something like that. Something that they even say themselves, oh, it's not always accurate to make a decision like that. Like to, you know, make the decision to bring a baby out early. And they're like, oh, the baby's fully developed, like the baby's fine, like they can be birthed at this gestation. But, like, there's still so much more that happens in those final two, three weeks, you know, in a baby's, like, development in the womb and the mother's body and stuff like that. Well, and mostly, yeah, the, the baby might be okay to be born at that stage, but your body obviously wasn't ready to birth your baby no. at that stage. Like, going in there, like, I, you know, I sort of, like, accepted that I had the C-section and I was like, but I really want to breastfeed, like, you know, I didn't have my natural birth, but I still really want to breastfeed. So, yeah, so they once I finally got to hold her, like, they put her on my chest and we, like, tried to feed her, but she wasn't really, like, she sort of suckled a little bit, but she wasn't really interested. And the midwife was like, oh, that's fine. She's like, sometimes in, like, the first three days they're not that interested in feeding. They're more interested in just sleeping. So I was like, okay. Well, had they been, had they been giving her formula while she was in the humidity crib? No, so they hadn't give her, given her anything while she was in the humidity crib. So, they, um, yeah, that was the first time, like, that I offered the breast. That was the first feed that she had. So once we went up back up to the ward, most of, like, midwives were really good, but I was really, like, I was really sick. And they'd sort of identified that I did have, like, a, a post-op infection. And I also I had really bad, like, shoulder tip and gas pain as well. So, like, on my second day of recovery... I was sort of like, oh, like I'm in so much pain, like something doesn't feel right. Like, can you give me anything for like the gas? And like the midwife was like, no, no, there's nothing we can give you. You really just need to get up and walk and that will shift the gas. And I was like, I know that I need to like get up and walk, but like I'm in so much pain that I can't. <laughs> I'm like, is there anything? And they're like, no, like can't give you anything. And then my obstetrician came in like that afternoon and he's like, oh, no, he's like, we can give you like something called degas. He's like, that might help. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll have that because like the midwives wouldn't give me anything. There's just so many different opinions and there's no, no consistency amongst the advice being given to women, especially in their postpartum around like breastfeeding and pain relief and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The midwives were really like, they didn't keep on top of my pain relief. So it made it very difficult to get out of bed and walk because they were missing doses. Like I I was trying to breastfeed, but like she, she was having like problems like latching and my milk hadn't come in. I wasn't like producing anything. Um. So yeah, that second day that I had the gas pain and stuff, they sent me down for a CT scan because they were worried that like there was something like left in there or 
there was something else going on because I was in so much pain. Um, and they injected me with a dye. After they'd injected me with a dye, the obstetrician walked in and she's like, can she still breastfeed with that dye in her system? And then the CT scan operator's like, oh, oh, I don't actually know. And then they're like, oh, well, well, she can't breastfeed if she's got that in her system and you don't know. And so that was like another 24 hours of not being able to breastfeed. And so in that 24 hours, only one, like I sort of said to the midwives, I was like, yeah, I'm planning on breastfeeding, but like I've had this dye put into my system, like, but I really want to breastfeed. And only one midwife in those 24 hours offered the pump to me to try and, you know, maintain my supply or get my supply to come in. And just like, there was just nothing coming out, like when I was on the pump. And she's like, oh, you need to sit forward more. I'm like, I can't sit forward more because I'm in so much pain. Like, um, I've just had, you know, major abdominal surgery and you're telling me to sit forward over myself. Like, so yeah, 24, another 24 hours and then we were back, like, trying to breastfeed again and just, she wasn't, there was just no milk. Like, she just wasn't getting anything. And so she was just, like, screaming, like, all night and for hours on end all day. That's when they finally, like, offered the formula. They're like, okay, well, the milk's not coming in. Oh, uh, no wonder. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, you know, I've just had this, like, really traumatic birth and my baby's been brought out early. <laughs> You've given me, like, this dye that I wasn't allowed to breastfeed for 24 hours, like, and you're expecting my body to just be like, okay, let's, let's produce some milk. Yeah, no stimulation to your nipples to even produce milk, like, oh. Yeah, like, I, I had, you know, pretty good midwives, like, for most of the time, but there was one that really sort of, like – impacted the way that I sort of thought about myself after like I left the hospital and my abilities as a mother um I think it was like on the third night like I was um like Nova had just been crying like all night she'd been awake all night she was crying probably because she was hungry (laughs) and I just I remember like I was trying to like rock her like I got out of bed and I was rocking her and I was just like I can't do this like anymore I was in so much pain I was so exhausted so I put her back into like a little bassinet and I pressed the buzzer I was like I just need help like I need someone to help me like I'd offered her the breast she'd sort of like suckled for a little bit but nothing was obviously coming out and this midwife came in and she's like I was like oh like I was like I just need some help like I'm really tired and she just won't stop crying I was like can you please help me and she's like well what do you expect she's like your baby's not swaddled like have you tried feeding her have you tried this have you tried getting up off your ass and like walking around the room and I was like whoa like excuse me like and then I just started like I just burst into tears and cried I was just like and I'm not really like a overly emotional person like it takes a like a lot before I get to the stage of crying I just like burst into tears yeah and then she's like what's wrong She's like, are you in physical pain? And she's like, oh, are you just tired? I'm like, I'm exhausted. Like, I'm not tired. Like, I'm fucking exhausted. I wonder if she even knew anything about your situation. Like, I just can't believe that someone can walk in knowing everything that you had been through. Yeah, I know. Um, and just – and even if you hadn't been through all of that, just to treat you that way, like, I'm a new mom. I've never done this before, yeah. you know, yeah. and some people don't like swaddling their babies. Yeah. Lots of people just don't do that. Like, it's just – so unnecessary she ended up like I just yeah bawling my eyes out and she ended up saying like oh I'm gonna take her and just walk her around the ward she must have felt a bit guilty like when she realized that she's made me upset and she then good like, she took her and then I was like okay like and I just I, I literally just like I fell asleep like I wasn't even like oh my god my baby's away from me I was like oh my god yes my baby's away like <laughs> like just let me sleep for two hours 
I don't even care that she's gone with this awful woman. It's, it's just like that's a real testament to how how exhausted you were. And then she sort of like um brought her back in, and she's like, oh okay. She's like, I can't do this anymore. I've got other patients to see. And then like she just dumped her there, and she just started screaming again. And I was like, how were you? How were you mentally feeling around that time? I think like her just coming in and just like just questioning me so much, and that was like sort of like the straw that like broke me. Like I remember I didn't sleep before the rest of the night. I was just crying. And, like, my partner came, like, the midwife, the next midwife came in and I was, like, still really upset. Like, I was still crying. And she's like, oh, like, she's like, what's wrong? Like, you're really upset. And I was like, oh, I had this really awful midwife, like, last night. And she's like, oh, who was it? And I said her name and she's like, oh. And then she's, like, sort of just, like, this look on her face, like, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. And then my partner, like, I told him what happened and he came in later and he was speaking to that midwife again like um the one that came in the morning that happened to her it's not acceptable that this has happened to her like she's really upset like this has really upset her and the midwife was like oh she's like you can make a a complaint like if you want like she's like you can complain like make a formal complaint if that's how you feel and we were like yeah we're gonna make a formal complaint that's what we're gonna do but like we never ended up doing it and that's typically how it goes because you get home life takes over you've got a brand new baby like and you know from all of the other trauma that you had suffered like mentally you might not have been in the right place to do that and even now you're still only what three months postpartum yeah like your body is still physically healing from all of that let alone the mental battles which might take forever to get over yeah yeah oh i'm so glad that your hubby came in and kind of stood up for you though he's good at doing that yeah <laughs> so yeah we by the time that we left the hospital like we left on day six we still didn't really have like established breastfeeding oh that's a long time yeah she was still like not feeding like she'd been supplemented with like formula but no the breast and she still wasn't feeding properly and then um sort of once yeah like once we left the hospital i thought that she was feeding properly like i thought she was feeding really well i was like oh, i felt really confident i was like yes like she's finally doing it like she seems like she's feeding and she's happy she was still like just screaming like at night mainly like she'd sleep all during the day and she's uh, screaming during the night i was like okay this is probably just newborn like normal newborn stuff and then two days after we were discharged the community nurse came to our house or no it was the midwife came to our house she was weighing her and she weighed 2.4 kilos so she had lost 400 grams of her birth weight this midwife just panicked she's just like this baby's lost like way too much weight she's like she needs to feed she's like are you feeding her i'm like no i'm like i'm starving her like i'm putting her in the fucking room and just like closing the door like what do you think yeah that's such a it's such a stupid way to to express that are you feeding her like she could have just said are you are you okay with feeding are you having any troubles like there's so many ways you can go about that i was like i'm trying like i'm trying to feed her and then she's like put she's like show me what you're doing like put her on there she's like yeah she looks like she's feeding but like she just wasn't getting what she needed and she's just like your baby needs like she needs to put this baby on formula or you're gonna have to take her to hospital and she's gonna need like a feeding tube and i was just like what like she's like yeah your baby is like really underweight like she's like you need, if you, like i come back tomorrow and she hasn't put any weight on like she's gonna need a feeding tube i'm like how is she gonna put weight on like overnight like i was like how is she gonna like what's gonna be like enough weight for you to be satisfied that she's put on weight you know i remember like i was just sort of just like shocked i was like oh like i've like been starving my baby like and I haven't noticed so yeah I ended up ringing everybody in a panic I rang my dad I was like can you get my like the baby formula like the, the midwife said she's starving like she's only, only weighs 2.4 kilos help me <laughs> and I rang my mom and I rang my partner and someone needs to bring formula home ASAP so he ended up coming home from work and what well, I think maybe dad came home from work oh, someone came home with a tin of formula for her and we started giving her that and still off like would offer her breast and then give her the formula after like once she realized that she could get 
formula, she wasn't interested in the breast that was giving her like a little tiny bit of milk. Like she was like, no, nah, give me the bowl. And then that same nurse, she came back the next day and she's like, oh, she's like, I feel really bad how I left you yesterday. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. You know, a week postpartum and you've come in here and it like made me feel like I've been starving my child. She's like checked her over and she's, she looks much better. So she's like, are you going to stick with the breast? You know, she's like, are you going to stick with the, like the breastfeeding? And I'm like, it's like, yeah, I really want to. And she's like, well, you need to pump every time you feed her and you need to offer her like the breast every time you feed her and so I was doing that but like I just wasn't getting any milk like, no nothing was coming out at all just with the constant having constantly having to pump was just and then prepare bottles and then feed her and then sleep deprivation I couldn't keep up with it and I had to like make the decision like to to formula feed because no way that I could kept on top like the pumping and the bubbles yeah and did you have much support at home like your partner was back at work at the time he um was wasn't working as often as he does now he's like like he's a shift worker so he does like a week of nights a week of days and then a week of afternoons and so I think he at that stage like um he was still kind of new to his job so he was only doing like three shifts a week when he was the days that he had to work like I didn't have a lot of support during the night because obviously he needed to sleep because his job like he kind of can't really be tired doing his job like operating like heavy machinery and stuff like that how did you feel making the decision to formula feed uh it was probably like the hardest thing out of everything i think it's still the one that i really struggle to deal with it's really hard but you know at at that point in your postpartum journey and you're still like what only a week or so postpartum you know you're in survival mode and you've really just got to do what you can to kind of get through the next day and the next day it's yeah you've got to be really short-sighted and it can, especially for women whose births have go, gone so off the charts and so not what they wanted, having to make the decision to not breastfeed if that's something that they really wanted to do can be like, it's like the final frontier, you know, it's the one thing that you hold on to that you really want to master. And often that can be the straw that breaks the camel's back because it's like the one thing that, that I've got left is how a lot of women feel. But it's so important to gain some perspective on that and realize that you were like, you were like in the trenches, you know what I mean? Like you are fighting it out, you know, and you've really just got to do what you need to do to get through that night and that day. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. Like for the first six weeks I was definitely in survival mode, but like having to formula feed that like planted like a lot of seeds so that led to some further issues down the track we're trying to deal with at the moment of just like not feeling like she needed me. I was like, oh, you know, like anybody can feed my baby. Like she doesn't need me. Aww. So I had like a lot of those thoughts to start with. Feeling like people were judging me for not like sticking to the pumping and trying to get the established breastfeeding. I'm trying to get my milk to come in. but it's uh, And that's just one more thing that you have to deal with, which is a, such a load of shit. Like you, no one should have to be considering how other people are perceiving them when they're that fresh into their postpartum journeys or at all or ever. You should never have to take into consideration what other people are thinking of you or, or feeling about the choices that you've made. How has your postpartum been? I know that you're still quite fresh, like three months is not a long time yeah I think in the last month I've really sort of settled into it and feeling like a lot more positive but that first stage I was in like a pretty bad place I was really like really struggling really struggling I think because now she's three months old she's smiling and she's sort of you know she's sleeping really well so but in that first newborn phase like so unsettled and so like I was going like I was so deep like sleep deprived that I was hallucinating it was horrible I was like laying in bed and like there was like we're seeing like little glowing things all over the walls and oh it was horrible I just didn't like I still didn't really feel like a 
I just felt so like numb for the first two months I reckon it was just felt numb yeah I really struggled to connect to her I suppose I loved her obviously but like I just didn't have that I just felt robbed of that bond that like breastfeeding gives you yeah so often when people talk about birth they go it's really painful but it's all worth it for the moment that you get your baby on your chest and you're like well I didn't get that yeah exactly where was that moment for me (laughs) sometimes I'm I think to myself like was it worth it like because I didn't have that moment. Did the midwife, when she came to do the home visit, did she check in with you about how you were feeling mentally or was it kind of once she measured the baby, it was all about that? Like did did she check in to see how you were going and how you were feeling? The day, the second day that she came, after she'd like gone into that panic about baby starving, um, she checked in with me and she was like, oh, like how are you feeling? Like blah, blah, blah. But she wasn't really like attentive. Like she was sort of just like, because I was at the time, I was like, I feel fine. Like, everything's fine this is fine inside I was like like what's happening like I'm so tired (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing um but yeah so she was sort of a bit like blase about it when I went um to my appointment my GP she sort of recognized something wasn't quite right she sort of pushed me a little bit to open up and um she started seeing me every week to make sure that I was okay so I think I stopped seeing her um, when I started to get more sleep and I started to feel like more human again. Oh, that's really good. Did you seek any other help in your postpartum? Um, so I had like a community nurse who came out um, and she was amazing. She was so good. She would come, like she came to the house um, a few times, but like when she wasn't here, she would also like, she'd ring me or she'd text me um, to check in. She like came visited more often and she also scheduled me more like um, appointments at the clinic just to make sure that I was doing okay. And she did refer me to a counsellor, but I didn't end up, I haven't ended up going to see the counsellor. And you may not feel ready to, or you may not feel like you need to, but at least you've got, at least those connections have been made for you. I feel like everyone should be made aware that there are services that can help them, even if even if the woman is sitting there stoic and smiling and saying, I'm good, I'm good. Like they should at least know because everyone's different. Everyone's personalities are different and someone might not feel comfortable saying, yeah, I'm struggling because there's a lot of shame that comes with that as well. Yeah. And a lot of judgment and a lot of people are hesitant to say, oh, I need help. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that's how I felt. It's just sounds silly, but like a lot of my family, like they had babies and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, if I like show that I'm not coping, I'm just going to never live it down or something like that. Like that's what I was And your personality type probably plays into that a lot like you said that you're not a highly emotional person either so I'm hazarding a guess that you might not feel comfortable voicing that anyway yeah it took a lot of probing from my partner like he's really good at being like are you okay and I'm gonna go yeah I'm fine he's like are you okay like (laughs) oh that makes me teary I'm so happy you've got him in your life that's so good so he was really good at sort of recognizing when I was like not the best and he'd be like okay we'll go out for we'll go out for lunch or we'll go out for a drive like we'll take the baby in the car for a drive because she sleeps really well in the car so oh that's so good and because it can be hard for a lot of partners as well they don't know what to expect and they're like oh is this normal like (laughs) they're a little more in the dark than even you are you know I didn't go see the counselor because I feel like I'm in a pretty good place now but I still am dealing with like sort of um, a lot of anxiety about leaving the house on my own and stuff like that. That's getting better every like I'm sort of setting myself like goals every week to sort of overcome that. So like going to like mother's group or going to like appointments, going to the shop. Yeah, that's a really good approach to it. Just baby steps. You just got to take it easy on yourself, you know. And as long as you're you know making small baby steps in progress, then and you know that you've got those services to help you as well, which is I think is key because feeling alone is the biggest thing. So. How do you feel now um, looking back on your birth and do you feel like 
if you were to decide to go on and have further children that it that what happened to you would kind of inform how you go into it would there be things that you would change or it took me like a quite a while before I started feeling like really angry about it like I think it's sort of only just now like in the last few weeks that I've sort of been like hang on a second like because at the time I was like oh they did that because they had to save her life like like she was in danger like and that and then I used to say to myself oh yeah they treated me like pretty well like I was like they were polite to me and they were nice to me but then I'm like thinking like if you hadn't induced me I wouldn't have had any of that happen. <laughs> like, like I could have had some of it happen, but it would have gone differently, I think, like postpartum. And so, yeah, I do feel really, really angry. And um, for, you know, for a while there, I was like, I'm not having another baby. Like, it's too scary to, like, think about having another one. But I think that's feeling sort of died out a little bit. I think it's my partner that's sort of more hesitant to have another one because um, he remembers things that I don't remember and it was pretty traumatic for him to see. He saw her when she was born and he saw what's happening to me, so I think that was quite traumatic for him. So I think he's a lot more hesitant than I am to have another baby. They get left by the wayside a lot and just kind of they don't get checked in with at all by any of the staff or anything and they already feel so helpless, you know. And I think, like, if we did have another one, I would just – I would be a lot more aware of the ways that they can sort of subtly, like, manipulate you into doing what they want, especially when you're in such, like – when you're pregnant, like, you're so vulnerable, like, you're so, like, emotional when you're tired and they sort of, like, take advantage of you. Yeah. To sort of get what they want. And so you have to really have, like, know what you want or you need to have somebody that can sort of advocate for you. Like, yeah, like sometimes I sort of just, like, sit here and I'm just, like, real, like, how the hell did that happen to me when I was so, like, informed of, like, that it could happen and it still happened to me. I was like, how? Like, what happened? (laughs) I was like, where did it, like, where did it go wrong? Like, why didn't I feel like I could stand up for myself? And I, I struggled to, like, remember how I was feeling at the time, like, about it all. Yeah, it would be such a blur. I mean, there's so many factors that were playing into it for you, but exhaustion is such a big one, you know. Have you thought about um, or do you have a copy of your birth notes from the hospital? I don't. Um, I would really like some. Um, I was supposed to, like, the obstetrician that I was seeing was like, oh, yeah, we'll see you in, like, three weeks' time, but, like, they never contacted me to um, – book an appointment and at that time I was like I don't think I'm ready to go and like see them like I don't think I can go in there again for a while yeah it really makes you feel like you're just a number to them because like once you're out of there you're kind of forgotten yeah but yeah I would really like to see my birth notes I mean when you feel mentally ready I find that for lots of women it can be really helpful just because it gives you another perspective on what they think happened during your birth or what they wrote down was happening during your birth. But it's, yeah, definitely. I mean, at least you know that you can do that, but when you feel mentally ready, it might be a good idea to kind of get a hold of them and and see, it might fill in some blanks for you. Yeah. I think it, um, there's definitely like a lot of medical appointments that I need to book as well that I've sort of been hesitant to do because it's still like real like funny about people touching me after that experience. So That's not something that lots of people are aware of, that it can really affect you like long term, you know, and it can be the smallest of things that can really affect you. You know, like that, just a good example of that of that is when in your prenatals, when that midwife said a baby that comes out crying is a baby that needs help. Like that at the time probably felt like nothing. And then as soon as that happened to you, it was like the first thing that came to your mind, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you decided to come forward and tell your story. I feel like it's such an important conversation, especially now because so many inductions are taking place. So many women are getting induced before they're ready and it's just like the rate of inductions right now is just so high. And actually last night on my Instagram I put up a whole raft of stories about inductions and and how things can go wrong and it almost just is like – a script of your birth pretty much yeah <laughs> yep. and so many women don't know because when they're scheduled for an induction their care providers say yeah we're just going to help your body along and that's it you know they don't they don't really tell you the truth of what can happen and and I think the thing that annoyed me the most is that they didn't tell me like what the drugs do to your body that um like they tell you like the basic thing like oh yeah this is going to bring on labor but they don't actually tell you how it reacts with all the things and you know how your body reacts to that and stuff like that and it's not it's not real labor you know like your body doesn't even know that it yeah yeah it's just like an intruder it's just like um i think that's one of the things that sort of like um frustrated me a little bit is that women didn't feel like they could speak up about traumatic births because like there's like this like stigma like oh you don't want to scare like other women who are expecting like you don't want to scare them with your story you're just you're lucky because you've got your healthy baby and you should be happy. Oh, but on the flip side, and that's the whole reason I'm doing this. It's not because I want to <clears throat> scare women away from birth. Obviously, it's to help other women who have had stories similar to yours help to validate their experiences. Because often you might have a birth that you feel a little bit off about, a little bit icky about when you think about it. But it's not until you hear someone else's story that you're like oh, yeah, that happened to me. Maybe that should not have happened. And maybe, oh, I did have a choice. And it's not until you hear other people's stories that it kind of helps to sink in. Well, I'm so grateful that you've come forward and um, told your story. And I hope that maybe you get something from this as well. Like often it helps with speaking it out loud and um, knowing that your story will probably help other women as well is um, can be quite healing. Yeah, that's um, sort of like what I really, I don't know if there's like a woman who's like pregnant and listening to this like maybe it'll give her more courage to sort of you know stand up for herself or if there's like a mum who's like feeling lonely like postpartum and who's had these things happen to her and doesn't have the support that I had like that she knows that she's not alone helps one person it's worth it if there's one woman out there who's being told that she's going to have a four and a half kilo baby and her baby comes out at two kilos (laughs) yeah (laughs) no that they're pretty inaccurate (laughs) yep Exactly. Yeah, very, very inaccurate. And it's, yeah, that, I heard that like over and over again and I still didn't question it, but oh well. <laughs> Aww. Well, thank you so much. No worries. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Please feel free to share your thoughts with me by leaving a comment, review or rating on your preferred podcast platform. You can also engage with me on my business page on Instagram at lifeendlens underscore photography and on Facebook by the same name. If you know of someone who may be interested in telling their story here or if you yourself would like to, please get in touch. I have a submission form which can be found by following the link in my bio on Instagram. Otherwise, you can Google my business name and get in touch with me via my website or email.